Welcome to Never Rewrite. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to talk about iterative replacement as the alternative to rewriting. So in the first episode, we talked about iterative uh, full rewrites are bad, uh, but we didn't talk about what is good. Uh, and I saw one yeah. commenter on the internet, you know, he made the comment, ah, they said, never rewrite the, instead rewrite it. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, we were a little vague. Uh, so let, episode two, let's talk about what you should do instead of, uh, of, you know, a full rewrite and why it's better. Sure. That's a good call out. Uh, yes. Yeah. I also had a similar comment uh, from a few people uh, rewriting, rewrite what? So uh, yeah. So um, why is replacing good? Why do we want to iteratively replace? Uh, well, I've got, I think we have four, four points uh, on our list. Let's just uh, kind of go through them. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of the first one that is very important. Uh, one of the major ones, uh, the improvements are locked in. Right. They don't disappear if the project gets put on hold or canceled. You know, many times, I would say at least four times, I have seen a, hey, I'm going to replace my current system with a brand new system that's going to be better. It's going to be better in so many ways. And 12 months down the road, they're getting close, but management is upset. They've now been funding two teams for a year. They put a six-month timeline, you know, be cut over. Mm -hmm. And then at 18 months, they're like, Screw it, we're canceling the project. And all of that code, all of that time, all that money, just throw it away because they've given up. Right. Um, and the rewrite project achieves nothing. Uh, and, and the original system lives on. Uh, and if you do an iterative replace, every time you do finish something, every time you do something, it gets out there and it's locked in, it's in production. And there's never this giant load of work in progress that is at risk of getting canceled. Like at most, you could lose a week or two of work if, if management changes their mind. Got it. So it's like your large feature branch of work, so to speak, that you keep adding more and more things to that you think this, oh, yeah, it's almost ready. It's almost ready. Uh, and, and it ends up uh, getting punted or maybe merging uh, is too risky because of other things. And eventually they kind of abandon it. I think in the last episode, you mentioned like um, never write code that doesn't go into production. So this is kind of like, along that same line of thought just keep pushing things small minor changes to the to the main branch right yeah you touched on a major point of that is small minor or no, they don't have to be minor but small things are much less risky and much easier to merge in than big things if i'm yeah. going to you know uh do a full rewrite you know the, the example we gave yes last week about the yankees right they had their stadium, they went to a new stadium and destroyed the old stadium. And there was no going back. Like whatever the problems were, those were the problems. But right. when you make a small change, you can always go back. Like if they just changed the seats in the old stadium and everybody hated the new seats, you, you could rip them out and put the old, you know, buy new seats that were the old seats. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can't undestroy the stadium or you can't, right. you know, it, it's too big. It, the big, the more code, the bigger your the bigger the feature, the more risk it is. Whereas a small change, you know, if you fix all the bugs or you fix an error or you make this part of the pipeline more efficient, none of those changes is particularly risky on its own. Whereas, hey, I'm going to rewrite the whole thing in a new language. You don't find out the risk. You don't find out all the bugs until you actually try to use it in production. And so it's it's 
much riskier. Yeah. And I think actually, I think that's a good uh, rule of thumb for pretty much any code. Keep it, It's almost like that, like the concept of like keeping your, um, your PRs or MRs uh, small mm-hmm. in general. So even if you're just doing a small feature, if you can keep every MR like a very small bit of logic and break it into tiny little pieces, it's easy, easier to review. It's less risky to merge that in. Um, so just in general, I think it's just a, a good rule of thumb. Yeah, there was a study, uh, and I don't have the reference to it, uh, but there was a study where they were looking at a group, the Git commis- the Git commits of high-end developers, like high, well-regarded developers, uh, and they, they theorized that you know there'd be basically two groups. There'd be developers who do lots and lots of little commits and merges, and then there'd be developers who do fewer, larger merges. And they were only looking at the set of like I think it was like Linux kernel maintainers or something like that. Uh, and what they discovered is there's no one in the second group. Small continuous commits is a sign of a good, uh, of, of a highly productive developer. Fewer larger commits is a sign of a less productive developer. And that there wasn't, well, no, that's not what the size is. Highly regarded productive developers did not do uh, large commits. Right. Um, that just wasn't how they worked. Uh, and it was, they were surprised because it was very consistent uh, they just didn't do that. That's not what effective developers do. We need to find a link to that uh, that study and and throw that in the show notes. Uh, I will look for it. I looked for it before, but I couldn't find it. But I will try again. In that case, we'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I totally read it on the internet, and <laughs> therefore it's true. All right. What's uh, what's the next of the four? the The next part is that you're going to solve problems today, and you're not going to get trapped by how you imagine you're going to solve problems tomorrow. Um, Rewrite projects. The first six months, it's always, oh, I'm going to build a framework so that I can solve the problem so much more effectively than I can solve the problem with my current code. And the problem with that is you, you end up building a framework. And then once you have your framework perfected, then you try to figure out how you're actually going to solve the problem with the framework. And that's when you discover, oh, I need to re rewrite my rewrite to actually solve my problem and that's you know when the rubber is meeting the road and you're already late and behind that's like when the project starts to fall apart and so the you know just iterative replacing stuff you're solving actual problems today instead of getting sidetracked into how you think you're going to solve the problems in the future um this also kind of makes sense uh not just again from a rewrite standpoint but just from like a daily productivity standpoint Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the the famous book Practical Object Oriented Design in Ruby by Sandy Metz, and at one point she's describing how to architect something with um, inheritance, and the mm-hmm. analogy that she uses is bicycles. And uh, at one point she shows like here here's your main bicycle class, here are the um, things that inherit from the bicycle class, and they were like different types of bicycles. You had a street bike, you had a mountain bike, and there was the other type of bike that you're like recombinant yeah yeah that one (laughs) thanks um and uh she she gives an example of how to kind of architect this such that you have like the shared components in the main class and then like the unique ones in the derivative classes Uh, and then goes into a lot of other different talks about like um uh, composition over inheritance and that kind of thing too but after showing you like an example of how to do that she says uh not not necessarily in these words, but you don't do that. <laughs> uh, basically saying that 
uh, you don't have to pre preemptively design things this way. So you may not want to, if you're a company that just handles street bikes, for example, you don't necessarily want to go ahead and go, oh, well, we can make code that can handle any type of bike yet. You don't need mm -hmm. to hyper optimize and start uh, writing code that can handle any situations. So like you're saying here, uh, don't imagine how to solve tomorrow's problems, solve today's problems. So uh, the same thing here, write your original class that you need. You don't necessarily need to abstract anything yet. If you're just a street bike company, make a street bike class. <laughs> uh, right. So, so this people is, get ahead of themselves. Yeah. Um, what's the phrase that Yagni, right? You ain't going to need it. Um, iterative replacement reduces your amount of stuff that you're going to build because you think you need it as opposed to stuff that you actually need. Yagni. Yagni. Rewrites encourage Yagni. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next on the list, we had customers are, are buying what you're selling today, not what you're selling next year. You know, this is not a technical thing. This is a remember who you're at, why you're actually doing this. You're not, you know, it's not a hobby. If it's a hobby, go right ahead and rewrite, I guess, uh, whatever makes you happy. It's if you're a professional software developer, you're developing it for your customers. You're writing for your customers and your customers are buying the software. They're using the software today. They're not buying it today. And then, you know, a year from now, they're going to get the newer version. You know, that I guess we're talking about a more of a, a software that's in production, I guess, if you're being yeah. hired to. Uh, so, Anything you can do to make the, the new software in the hands of the customers faster is better because it's those are the people who actually care and want to use your software. That kind of reminds me a little bit too of, of last episode where we were talking about um, if you write code that's bad uh, but solves a problem or retains a customer, it's it's good. So it's not necessarily good quality. Uh, but I think your phrase was like, judge us not by our code, but by the impact or something like that. Um, yes. So. Um, yeah, if the overall impact is that, um, you know, customers start using your code immediately versus you promising customers that in six months you'll have something even faster for them. Yeah, it's generally going to be the better solution to deliver something useful to the customer today. Right. Remember, good and bad are, are entirely subjective. The code mm -hmm. could be bad from a developer point of view, but it's good from the customer's point of view. Yeah. Um, and sort of the iterative rewrite idea, because you don't have that much work in progress, it's going to keep you closer to the middle ground where the code is something that you feel okay with because you're writing it now mm -hmm. and the, the customer's getting value out of it. And you don't stray into um, Yagni territory, I guess, where you're inventing solutions to problems that the customers don't have and you're never gonna need. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, helps keep you away from, I guess, cowboy style where you're going to make something, but you're never going to change it once it's done. And you're just going to move on to the next thing. This is, oh, okay. You know, maybe I had to make this crazy bad hack to get the customer what they needed. And now that it's in production, I can go back and make that hack more stable and less terrible from my personal view. The customer is happy either way. Many rewrites, sort of the part of the justification is that the code, the existing code is so terrible that nobody understands it and so that nobody can maintain it. Uh, and, you know, you get to the end where you've, you've built your new framework, you've solved the problem, and now you're getting bitten by all the edge cases that you didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what do you have to do then, if you're going to be successful, is go through the original code that you didn't want to look at, 
a, six months or a year ago, figure out how it works, and then make your new code work that way, which is going to mangle, almost in, certainly going to mangle your brand new wonderful framework right. uh, and systems. And I guess to just acknowledge that you either have to do it at the start or you have to do it at the end, but either way, you're going to eventually have to understand the code that you're replacing. And the later you do it, the more annoying and more rework it's going to be. It's like um, if you've ever moved, uh, there's like the the stages of, move, of packing up your stuff where the early stages, you, you look at all the stuff, you're like, oh, you sort between stuff you want to take and that you don't want to take. Uh, and then as you run out of time, you eventually just throw everything in the box and you're like, I'll just fi you know, figure it out when I get there. And you then spend the time packing up the box, moving the box, unpacking the box, and then throwing stuff away. Um, that happens to almost everyone every time. You're just like, I, I didn't have the time. I just threw it in a box and I paid somebody to, to ship it across the country. Right. And then I threw it away. That's a pretty good analogy. Um, stay subscribed for many more colorful analogies by Jeffrey. So yeah, in the previous episode, uh, you'd mentioned uh, the process of figuring out what you do have um, so that you can make a new system gives you the opportunity to fix what you have. Uh, so that's kind of like what you're saying here is uh, regardless at the beginning or the end of the project, you're going to have to characterize uh, your current behavior. So you need to know what your current code does. You have to go through and um, see which features you're porting over. Um, and while you're doing that, you could just improve your current system. So you could find all those areas, um, all the different features. That gives you that gives you a chance to go through, uh, write uh, documentation on how your current functionality behaves. Uh, you can add tests around that change functionality. So if you go through and find areas as you're documenting, you can kind of see how it's behaving and then maybe even extract and test those um, features uh, feature by feature or even like smaller granular unit tests, that kind of thing. You know, and that gets back to why just the iterative replacement, you know, once you have tests, once you understand what the code is doing, changing the code stops being as scary and as risky, which again, decreases the, the value of, of the rewrite alternative of, oh, well, this is so terrible. We, we can't possibly touch it. Okay, but now you can touch it. Now you can make these changes. Um, I think this is a good place to maybe mention that we would love, if you've got a project uh, that is thorny and you don't know how you would start iteratively replacing it versus just doing a full rewrite, uh, we would love to have you on and we could talk about it and, and give you ideas and, and walk you through how to to look at it. Um, just you know, hit us a, hit us up in the contact information, uh, and we would hopefully have you on here because I think we can help. Yeah, we have um, contact information in the show notes. We also have uh, I think a Q and A on Spotify, um, so you can uh, respond to that Q and A. We do. And I, I'm going to have to. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to get a Spotify account. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. There's multiple ways. I think if it, also neverrewrite.com. Uh, there's contact information there as well. Uh, so yeah, if you want to come on the show, it's not nearly as scary as it might seem. And if it is, uh, and you stutter and you're scared, uh, we can edit all of that out and make you sound super confident. Maybe even auto tune you while we're at it. I want to be auto-tuned. I actually have a version of the first episode where I gave everyone uh, deep voices. I'll have to put that one out I, as a April Fool's joke. 
April Fool's episode. <laughs> uh, that would be next next episode. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite. <laughs>